we always start these is to give everyone a kind of rundown of how it is that you got into photography. So when did you first pick up a camera and why? Well, I first picked up a camera five years ago. Um, a little bit, I came to it a little bit late. I was already 42 when I did that. The reason I got a camera was um, because my kids are growing up. They were eight and 10 at the time. And I was just kind of lamenting the fact that all of my pictures of them were taken with my phone. And I wanted to have, you know, just a nicer set of pictures of the kids. So I got a camera, just got a little uh, crop sensor, uh, Nikon D5200, uh, with no, you know, no great intentions of becoming a photographer or anything, just to, just really to capture the kids. But what I found was, once I got the camera, I just absolutely loved it. And I just couldn't stop taking photos. And it kind of developed from there. I was, uh, I was using the thing all the time. Um, few months after I got the the uh, digital camera, I decided to get a film camera. Uh, just just from you know looking at photographs online and stuff like that, stuff that I liked, and seeing that I really liked the way that film looked. So uh, I got a I got an old uh, film camera on eBay for thirty dollars, and um, never really uh, looked back from there. It's just kind of uh, kind of mushroomed from uh, from that initial beginning. Did you find the transition, obviously, because you did it quite early, I feel like maybe it was probably a bit more fluid, but the transition from digital over to film, was that quite easy? Um, it, it was. I mean, I'm actually glad that I started on digital because that, that helped me learn, you know, how, um, you know, ISO and shutter speed and aperture and so on work. So by the time I got a film camera, I'd already, you know, figured all of that out. So I, I kind of was able to hit the ground running with the film camera. Um, and actually, you know, I think that it was, you know, starting film so early in my, uh, in my experience as a photographer was, was really helpful because it, you know, it forces you to, uh, kind of understand what you're doing a little bit more, uh, shooting in manual with the film camera. Um, so it kind of gave me a little bit of a boost as well. Um, so it was, it was a very, it was, a, it was a smooth and easy transition for me. And as I said, before we got started, I'm someone that has struggled to find too many people that photograph portraits um, on film. It seems to be something that's kind of been lost in the mix to a lot of the other kind of uh, cliches of, of film photography. Um, what was it that made you go from photographing the family to photographing um, portraits in general? Well, you know, when I first started, I wasn't, I wasn't even just focused on portraits. What I, I, I was literally taking pictures of everything. I mean, I was out in the backyard with a macro lens, taking pictures of spiders I was out at night taking pictures of the stars. You know, I was doing just all kinds of photography. I would, I would take my camera with me to work, and then on my lunch break, I would go and have a walk around downtown Los Angeles and just you know photograph stuff in the street. I was, I didn't really have any focus to begin with. And the way that the the portrait thing started was that um, I was, I mean, I was taking portraits of the kids, obviously, um, from from the get go, and. Um, I started to, I actually got ill with flu um, and was kind of bored sitting in bed, um, you know, waiting to get better. And, and I started an Instagram account just, just really out of, you know, needed something to do that, you know, that I could do while I was housebound. And, right. um, and I posted a variety of pictures on my Instagram account. And what happened from that was that I started to have people contact me and ask me if I would shoot their portraits because they liked the the pictures of the kids that I had posted. And it really kind of grew from there. And I started to specialize 
uh, in portraits from that point on. I still I still do other kinds of photography. I I, I enjoy street photography, although I don't think I'm, I'm especially good at it, but I enjoy it. But I really I really got into portraits, and I think that um, for me personally, at least, the way that film portraits look is to my eye uh, more pleasing um, than what I've been able to accomplish with digital. So I've really I've really focused on film portraits, and then once I got um, into medium format, which you know I, I did probably within a year of getting a thirty-five millimeter film camera, then then that you know that takes it to a whole new level. And um, you know I've I've really just uh, sustained my uh, hobby. I need to do this as a hobby; it's not a profession. Uh, by people seeing my work on Instagram and asking me to take their photos, which I'm always uh, very happy to do. One thing I've noticed with um, stalking you a little bit on Instagram is that you seem to quite often use Ektar for portraits, whereas um, I think like people think the standard is that you have to go for Portra 400 or 160 or whatever. Um, and I actually really like the uh, the look of Ektar in general, and I've I've enjoyed quite a lot of portraiture work I've seen done on Ektar. Why is it in particular that you go for Ektar when you do? Well, I think it, it's a really good question, and um, and I think that the the problem with portrait is that it well it, obviously it's very nice film and i shoot a lot with portrait but it works well with um certain skin tones and not quite so well with others and also with certain kinds of light and not so well with uh, with other kinds of light and so what i do a lot is i shoot if i'm shooting a very pale skinned model i'm not going to use ectal because it brings out too much redness in the in mm-hmm. the skin tones um, and I'm not one who goes into Lightroom and does a lot of editing. So I kind of, you know, I, the way that I work, I'm kind of stuck with whatever the film looks like. So I avoid it for very pale models. But I think with any any model that has darker skin and, um, you know, and black models in particular look uh, wonderful when they're shot with, uh, with Ektar. And so I really enjoy using it. And also because we have so much light here in uh, in California where I live, um, it enables me to shoot at wider apertures, um, you know, when there's when there's a lot of light around. So um, I appreciate that, uh, you know, the slow speed of the film as well as compared to say Porter Four Hundred. Um, but yeah, I, I really like the way Ektar looks, and I, I I don't really understand why more people don't use it for portraits because I think it's uh, it's a wonderful film when you when you use it that way. I mean, I never have, I, I'm only new into photographing people with film, but from the evidence that I've seen from yourself and a couple of others, I also can't quite understand why it's being ignored other than for the sake of uh, maybe a little bit of groupthink and people sticking to what is approved by sort of the the the, the group or the community in, in general. One One question I do have for you, obviously, like you just mentioned, you're based in California. Obviously, color and the abundance of light is a really big deal in California. So, how do you come to the decision when you're going to shoot black and white? You know, that's that's a good question, and I and I don't know if I can really um, give you a complete answer to that. I don't I don't fully understand myself sometimes where I choose black and white film. I usually take at least one roll of black and white with me on a shoot, so that I'm so I can include some black and white shooting in the film one one reason that i do it which is a very practical reason is if i shoot indoors i only shoot with natural light so if i'm working indoors with say window light the light levels are a little lower then i just appreciate the fact that i can push the black and white film and it enables me to shoot in a lower light environment where you know color film might not be so uh, useful 
but I think that, um, but I also enjoy the way that, um, you know, black and white kind of reduces the, the elements of the photograph. It fo- makes you focus much more on simply on light and shadow. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know if my black and white photography is as good as my color photography. I can never really decide. I think I actually prefer, I prefer working with color and I generally do work with color. But I do, I do occasionally take a black and white uh, photo that I really like. Although I wouldn't, I wouldn't really think of myself, uh, you know, primarily as a black and white uh, photographer. Um, but all, and and then the other advantage, of course, of black and white, is that it's easy to develop. So I develop my own at home, and I actually, I actually really enjoy the developing process and the opportunity that it gives you to kind of add a little bit more uh, to the creative process by choosing how you how you develop the film to accomplish, you know, a certain level of contrast or grain or those other uh, attributes that you can, uh, that you can add to the image by developing it a particular way. And in terms of your shoots, what sort of level of planning is going in uh, before you head out to shoot? Are you quite, are you an improviser or are you someone that likes to really know the details of what you're going to do? Yeah, I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not an improviser at all. It's like, it's, it's, it's meticulously planned. So that that begins with really um, whenever I'm out and about in the city, or if I'm out hiking in the mountains, because um, we have mountains right here in Los Angeles. Like literally in the city, we have a, a mountain range that runs through the city, um, and I'm lucky to live only about ten minutes away from from the mountains. But whenever I'm out and about, I've always got an eye, you know, half an eye open to potential locations. So I start thinking about it at that point, you know. Picking out potential locations where it might be, uh, you know, might be a nice place for a photo shoot, and um, and then I will visit those places at you know particular times of day. I tend to shoot during golden hour, so either early morning or, or late afternoon, and I'll I'll visit them at those times of day to see how the light falls on the location, so that I can um, you know kind of think about how I would shoot there and how I would use the light that's available along with assessing to uh, to to make the images that I want to make so I think about I think about it um, you know in those terms and so by the time I arrive at a location to do a shoot I already know how the light is going to be and how it's going to change during the the couple of hours that I'll spend there shooting um, and then in terms of you know like the the style of the shoot I do a little bit less planning in that regard I usually leave it up to the to the model to decide what what particular kind of style they they would like to you know have in terms of their outfits and and so on and so forth. Um, what I do do though is I'll tell them what colors of clothing to avoid. Um, you know, so for instance, I don't like shooting uh, models dressed in dark clothing sometimes because that'll kind of disappear. I like to shoot where the light's fairly low, and so I want clothes that are going to reflect back some light at me. Um, but you know, so the so the planning mainly revolves around location and light, which is is really what my uh, you know my photography kind of focuses on. And in terms of your directorial style, obviously shooting on film, um, I'm not so sure about California, but in England, it it would make you quite an anomaly for a model to be photographing being photographed on film. Do you have to kind of go through that with them and sort of talk them through the slowness of the process? And are you someone that's quite intense with your directing or are you quite laid back and see how things flow? Um, well, I, I, you have, you, 
are obligated to give a certain amount of direction just to make the photo work. So I think, you know, especially if I'm shooting medium format where you've got a low number of shots on a roll and, you know, the depth of field that I use tends to be very shallow and I'm very focused on the way that the light needs to fall on the model. That I'm very precise in how I position them, which way I tell them to look. And, and, you know, and I, so I'm, I'm very precise in how I position them. And I think a lot of models, if they're, if they're used to, to shooting with photographers who are just snapping away, you know, furiously with a digital camera, they kind of move around a lot and stuff during the shoot. And I need to, I need to kind of slow them down in that regard and say, you know, you need to basically stand in exactly this spot, face your body in exactly this direction, turn your face exactly, you know, in this particular direction. And that's how we're going to, take this photograph so yeah if they're if they're not used to shooting with somebody who uses film or and especially medium format film then i kind of go through that and i always explain i always explain that at the beginning of the shoot if it's somebody i haven't shot with before that kind of you know tell them how the process works so that they'll understand why i'm doing things and um and why it's important for them to you know, to kind of closely adhere to the directions I'm giving them. Because, you know, you can, it can move their face, you know, an inch in one direction and it totally spoils the way the light falls on the face, for instance. So I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty precise in, uh, in those regards with the directions that I give. What's it like being a portrait photographer in LA? Because being one in Hampshire in England, it's, uh, it's not obviously going to be quite the same glamour and the same level of light and so on. So what is it like being in LA and being a portrait photographer? Well, you know what? It's absolutely wonderful. Um, I mean, it's wonderful for so many reasons. One is just a you know, very practical reason, which is that we have uh, really nice weather here and the weather's nice all year round. So you're really not limited at all by weather as to when you can go out and shoot. You can shoot in the middle of you know, winter and you'll still have, you know, it'll be pleasantly warm. There'll be, you know, in, in all likelihood, sunshine uh, and so on. So the weather's lovely. The light is incredible. The light's actually too bright most of the time for me, so I have to, you know, time the shoots either early morning or late afternoon. But but when you when you hit those those good times of the day, then the light is just is just stunning, uh, really beautiful light and just an abundance of it. So you know, I can plan a shoot, you know, pretty much any day, and know that I'm going to have you know nice weather and nice light to work with. Um, another thing that's wonderful about shooting here is just the, the variety of environments that I've got to choose from. So, you know, we've got the beaches, we've got the mountains, we've got just a huge variety of different kind of neighborhoods around the city. So I always actually wonder why anybody in LA would ever rent a studio because it's so beautiful outside and there are so many different places you can go and shoot that it really seems a shame not to, uh, not to take full advantage of that. So that's another another aspect of it, and then uh, beyond that, there's you know it's a great place because there's a lot of creative people here. There's a lot of actors and models that want the photographs taken. So I've just got a lot of you know a lot of people to work with. Um, you know, I'm from Hull originally in Yorkshire, and you know I'd, I'd have to imagine that if I was a photographer there, I'd struggle, perhaps on all of those fronts, uh, to you know to have the opportunities <laughs> that I'm that I'm able to enjoy here. So. Um, Definitely, you know, it wasn't it wasn't by design. It certainly wasn't my 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 living in Los Angeles has nothing to do with photography. But you know, now that I've developed the uh, you know the love of the uh, of, of photography, then I, it it turns out that I really I really am in a great place to to do that. How do you get on with your accent out there? Because obviously, you've got that wonderful northern accent that in England we recognise so well. But 
I always worry about um, America. I travel over there about four times a year and I find myself almost needing a translator depending on the state that I'm in. How do you get on with your accent? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. I mean, I have to say that generally speaking, Americans have a very positive view of English accents. So I'd say it's a big advantage to me to have an English accent. Mm. Uh, people, you know, think it, it indicates some level of sophistication, which you know may or may not be there, but but it has that association for a lot of uh, a lot of people here. Um, I think even though I've still got my accent, what what I had to do when I first moved here was to modify my vocabulary because a lot of our words are different, of course, and it's not just the accent. You can, you, I mean, literally, words mean different things or don't have any meaning over here. So, I think I've adapted adapted my vocabulary a little bit to, uh, you know, to, to, to the needs of living in the United States. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, people, people can understand me, especially in LA. I mean, LA is a very diverse city. There's a lot of people from a lot of different places. So having an accent here isn't, isn't as remarkable as say, you know, if I go to somewhere like, you know, Minnesota or Wisconsin or something like that, which is a couple of States that I've spent time in, in this country where everybody remarks upon the fact that you have an accent. Whereas in LA, you know, <laughs> 70% of people in the city have got an accent of some variety. So it's, it's not, it's not that surprising or unusual uh, for people to hear a different accent when they're, when they're talking to somebody. If we switch things up and talk about subjects um, that you photograph, what is it that makes a good model or a good uh, portrait subject for you? What do they have to have in terms of like attitude and, and experience? I mean, I think I, I work with models that have got um, a whole range of different kinds of experience. Some with literally no experience, and others who are professional models who are, you know, have, have tremendous experience. And I think that what you've got to do, you know, and obviously what they're able to bring to a shoot is different, or how um, comfortable they are with, um, you know, looking into the camera, or how how competently they're able to follow directions kind of varies depending on what their their particular skill set and their experiences are but but I think that um, you know I, I I like to think that I can take a nice picture of anybody that I shoot with and generally that's been the case and one of the enjoyable things about shooting for me is just having that interaction with the person that I'm photographing to find kind of like the sweet spot of what what works for them and so um, you know, if it's somebody that's inexperienced a lot of the time, I'll I'll tell them how to stand, but then I'll just have a conversation with them and I'll just take photographs during our conversation as I'm watching their their face and their expressions and I'll try and choose those kind of, or I'll try and capture those kind of decisive moment type expressions um, during our conversation and then that will work. Whereas there's other, there's other models that I work with where you, you literally couldn't take a bad picture of them if you tried, you know, they're, they're constantly giving you um, you know, a look that would, that's going to look nice on a photograph. I've always found models like that almost um, frustratingly good in the sense of it becomes a little bit like shooting fish in a barrel and it can be, um, it obviously it's amazing for the end product, but in, in the sense of getting the shot, you kind of almost feel like a passenger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, although, you know, I, I appreciate it because it means I come back with a bunch of good shots. So I'm never I'm never going to complain about working with a with a talented model, but it's and I think you know and especially with if you can tell the model uh, what kind of emotion to display and they're able to just turn that on, I think that's a tremendous skill. And I've worked with with quite a lot of people who have that, or people who act as well for a living. They they can be very good at that too, at you know conveying a particular 
a particular uh, feeling or emotion as you uh, as you photograph them, and, and and that's always very helpful. But even for you know for for models that don't have that experience, um, you know you can still draw those you can draw those expressions out of them, um, you know just through you know conversation and uh, a little bit of direction and so on. So that that's one of the things I actually enjoy is working with with a, such a variety of, uh, of you know variety of skill sets and, and experiences and so on. I mean, I, I wouldn't be English if I wasn't trying to dwell on the negative at least slightly. So you've talked about the, what makes for a good model. Are there any sort of traits that can be frustrating or difficult um, when it comes to a, a portrait subject? Well, one of them would be not showing up on time when we're shooting in the morning because, of course, <laughs> uh, the the light is absolutely essential to my uh, photography as it is to everybody's. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm only working with available natural light. So if they're 20 minutes late, we've missed it, you know, and it's not coming back. It's not coming back until the evening. And so that, you know, being on time is a wonderful trait. Uh, most of them are occasionally, you know, somebody oversleeps or, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't calculate properly how long it's going to take them to arrive. Um, so, you know, that, that's a very important trait. I think that, um, but you know, I think just a, a trait that I, I mean, I, I can't think of any negative things quite honestly, uh, uh, Chris, I have, I have a very, I've, I've had universally good experiences with my shoot. And I think because they're collaborations and because we both want to be there, um, I think that's always a great start. You know, if it, we, we, we're there with the shared goal of getting some nice photographs and, uh, and, it's, and it's always a positive thing. In terms of the, the sort of creative control of a shoot, obviously you're quite meticulous in the way that you're planned out and you've talked about being a little bit less invested in the styling and being a little bit more open to interpretation from the subject. But have you ever had ideas thrown at you that are just very far off of what you want to be doing and you've had to kind of rein that in from the model? Yeah, I mean, you know, like cliched stuff. Like I've had a model say, I'm going to bring those twinkly lights, which were, you know, they were popular on Instagram a couple of years ago <laughs> where people would wrap themselves up in twinkly lights. And I was just like, you know what, well, that's just, I'm, I'm, I'm open to your, you know, <laughs> creative suggestions, but I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> so, you know, I think um, there, there, are, there are certain places where I would draw the line. I don't, I don't, there is a, I mean, Instagram, you know, is a, is a good and a bad thing. And, you know, and I, I rely upon it for my, for my model, so I, I'm not going to complain about it too much. But there's there's a tremendous amount of cliched work on there that I have absolutely no interest in, um, you know, replicating myself. So I, I want to avoid that. And I do have a particular style of portraiture, which is, you know, I think, fairly consistent. And I think that when people choose to shoot with me, then they know that that's basically, you know, that sets the parameters at least uh, stylistically for what we're going to be doing. We're not going to be doing something radically different to what they they see in in terms of the style that's you know that's shown on my instagram account i mean you've hit the nail on the head there with one of my biggest pet peeves is kind of chasing trends and so on but also talking about the consistency of your style i'm someone that when i look at a new photographer someone whose work i've not experienced before if their portfolio is too varied and it's just kind of all over the place i just instantly switch off uh, for the podcast and in terms of who I follow on Instagram, because I want to know what I'm getting when I sort of click follow or when I'm chasing down someone's work. But how important is that? Is that consistency to your sort of overall look? Do you think? Do you think it's something that is it a case that you're you're very settled on where you are and you're very happy with what you're getting and you're trying to sort of micro improve within that set, or is it something where it's like you've been influenced to end up where you are? 
Well, you know, that, that's a really good question because it's something that on, on the one hand, I like my consistency, right? But then on the other hand, I sometimes uh, am a little bit critical of myself that I seem to be doing, you know, kind of the same thing over and over. And, and hopefully I am, you know, uh, little by little, uh, you know, in those small increments improving as I, as I keep doing broadly the same thing. I mean, no, none of my pitches are exactly the same, but there are things between them that are very, very consistent in terms of the way that I compose, for instance. I mean, that in particular, I have a very um, consistent uh, method of composing portraits. Um, so, you know, I think that, I mean, for me, it, it, I think it's a strength when you present your work to have a consistent body of work. I, I sometimes wonder if I should be a little bit more varied just in terms of my own development as a photographer. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I do do other kinds of photography. I don't post all of my photography on Instagram. So I do, I do edit myself to present a fairly consistent, um, a fairly consistent look on my, uh, on my Instagram account and, and for other stuff that I do. So for instance, for street photography, which wouldn't belong at all on my portrait account, I actually have a separate account so I can kind of keep those, uh, different, different types of photography, uh, apart from one another. But the but the the composition is is consistent, and that's very deliberately so because I I like the way that I compose. I think it's a good way to do a portrait, and also because of the the way that I came to uh, to think about portraits was very very much influenced by um, kind of you know like painters and such like uh, of of all like Renaissance painters and such like. So that they they had a very consistent way of composing their paintings, which I've, you know, kind of uh, adopted and that I, uh, I use to help me uh, compose my, uh, my, my photographs. With film compared to digital, I feel like there's so much more personality to the actual camera and that the camera has so much influence on the person using it. As a digital shooter, I use Sony, which has literally no personality whatsoever. It could not be more boring and, and irritating in its lack of inspiration. But with film photography, obviously the cameras carry so much personality. Do you ever feel like your influence, depending on the camera that you're using, will, will change the shot that you end up getting? Oh, absolutely. And actually, to, to go back to the planning question, one of the things I didn't mention was, uh, for me, an important part of the planning process is deciding, obviously, what kind of film I'm going to shoot um, in terms of you know the colors and, and the, the film speed and so on. But also, uh, very importantly, what kind of camera I'm going to take with me because... I kind of have a bit of a weakness for buying cameras. Um, and of course, with film cameras, they don't cost very much, uh, by and large. So it's been easy for me to buy a, a bunch of them. Um, and it really does matter for me which camera I'm going to take with me on a shoot. I usually take, I take three cameras usually on each uh, photo shoot. Um, and just whatever, you know, because that, that's the limit to what I can fit in my shoulder bag. Um, but yes, I, I think about the kind of camera and the kind of lenses that I'm going to use um, very carefully, and it definitely affects the way that I shoot. Uh, so, for instance, if I'm shooting with like a twin lens reflex, for instance, you know, I have a, a Mamiya C33 uh, twin lens reflex camera. Um, that's an entirely different kind of shoot to shooting with a Pentax 645 or, or something like that. And I, I try and choose a camera that's going to. Go into work well for me and I'm going to enjoy shooting in the particular environment and for the kind of photos that I want to take on, on that occasion. Um, thinking about, you know, lots of things, but usually how, how to best, 
uh, integrate the portrait with the environment that we're shooting and which camera is going to enable me to do that. And then I also just enjoyed the cameras. And so I'll just vary the cameras that I use because I enjoy using them. Um, and, you know, like I say, I've got, I've got quite a collection. So I often look forward to opportunities to use cameras that maybe I haven't used for a little while or something like that. So, uh, you know, I, that's an aspect of it that's, that's enjoyable and important to me. Something that I think a lot of digital photographers think about when it when they consider shooting film is just the potential mistakes or, you know, you get a role developed and there's nothing on there, the overexposure, underexposure, whatever. They, they worry because they haven't got that instant feedback about how they're going to do photographing on something that is so delayed in its gratification. Have you had any uh, horror stories with film? Well, you know, actually, not really. No, I think if you if you set if you know how to take a photograph in terms of how to, well, particularly how to expose a photograph, um, you know, choosing the right shutter speed and so on, and you're confident that your camera works properly, um, then there's really no reason why you should be worried about the images that you're getting. I mean, I've had the only, I mean, literally the only uh, kind of screw ups that I've had have been my own faults when I've been developing films. So, for instance, when you're when you're when you, before you put the de, the developing liquid in the in the tank with the black and white film, you, you have to with medium format. You have to give it a rinse with some cold water to wash off, um, you know, some kind of coating that it's got on it. Um, and I accidentally did that with hot water a few weeks ago and totally ruined the film. Oh, no. I thought it was the cold tap and it was the hot tap, and I poured hot water into the tank and just destroyed the film. Um, I've had one occasion where I took a roll of film to a developing lab and they screwed it up. But that's literally like one role ever. So yeah, really, you know, it's, I, I understand the fear because you don't get that immediate confirmation that you've seen the picture, but it's, it's actually, it's really nothing to worry about. Um, you know, I, in, in my experience, at least, as long as if, I, I know that I took the picture right when I took it because I know that I had the right shutter speed, the right aperture, and you know I could see through the through the viewfinder or on the focusing screen that it was uh, that it was focused properly and so on. So there's really there's really no reason to uh, to worry about it. One thing that I'm quite fascinated by, and this is a little bit broad, so I'm kind of apologies for kind of moving away from talking literally about you, but just your your view of something here. We have more photographers now than we've ever had in general. I'm not even including iPhones and whatnot, because we all know that's taking pictures. That's not photography. There's a very slight difference. There's more photographers now than there's ever been. It's been democratized to the nth degree where anyone can go and pick up a camera and call themselves a photographer immediately. And thanks to that instant gratification, they can kind of get a camera to do roughly what they want it to do. Do you think we're seeing more great photographers come through as a result of that? Or do you just think that it's just watering down the general landscape of photography? Gosh, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that. I know that out out of out of all of those, you know, very many photographers that are out there taking pictures, and you know, and especially we get to see everybody's work now because of social media. There are a lot of really good ones now. Um, whether there's more really good ones than there used to be, I just don't know because we never used to see everybody's film pictures back in the day, or you know, or really what anybody was doing prior to to, uh, to social media. I think it's great that it gives people the opportunity to do it. I mean. I would include myself in that. It was it was you know through picking up a you know a DSLR that I was able to discover my love of photography. So, you know, I think it's I think it certainly creates the opportunity for more people to become uh, you know good photographers. It also means you've got to wade through a lot of um, you know mediocre photography people sometimes because there's so many people doing it. 
You mentioned something earlier that I feel like is a really important skill that gets massively overlooked, and that's the ability to kind of edit yourself and to curate what you're putting out, what you're making visible. And, you you know, one thing that I think a lot of up and coming photographers get wrong, a lot of developing photographers get wrong is that they, they feel like every time they take a picture, it needs to be seen publicly. And sometimes it's a good idea to experiment with something, but maybe hold back until you've really got it refined in the way you want it. Um, How do you learn that skill to edit yourself and to hold back on posting stuff? Well, you know, I just kind of learned it through. I mean, I was the same when I started. I just posted whatever I was shooting. Um, and, it, and I kind of developed in that regard or evolved by, by becoming a little bit more discerning and, you know, kind of really finding my focus. I think, I mean, I think first of all, you've actually got to decide what your focus is or at least, you know, find your way to it. I, I, I got there more just through, you know, I, it kind of found me. I was, that wasn't my, uh, original intention, but I, I just found more and more that my portraits were my better photographs and that those were the ones that I enjoyed. And, and so I kind of honed it down uh, through that, you know, just that kind of learning process. Um, but I think that one of the one of the challenges when you're a new photographer is actually deciding what your style is um, or what it is about your photography that distinguishes it from other people. Because I mean, that's, I think that's the great wonder of photography, right? The, the picture, the camera only just takes a picture of, you know, whatever it is that you, that you, that's in front of it when you click the shutter. But, but within that, we're all able, or those of us who've got some experience in photography are all able to develop somewhat unique views of the world or, or distinct looks. Um, and so you have to kind of find that a little bit by trial and error, I think. But once, once you have found it, you should be able to recognize what it is about your work that makes it distinctive and only select I think, you know, if you have an Instagram account or a, or a website or, or wherever you want to present your work, you know, things that are consistent with that theme and kind of true to what your particular style is as a photographer. And that's going to cause people to, I think, you know, have a better impression of your work than just a, a, a more scattershot approach. Um, I mean, I, I tend to be very critical of myself. So let's say, you know, I might shoot five rolls of film on a photo shoot, but I'm only going to post one or two of those. Um, and I, you know, and I, and I also try and avoid the, you know, when I, when I first get my pictures, um, uh, developed and I scan them, um, you know, I, sometimes I love all of them. Sometimes I, I don't like all of them. I think it takes a, it takes a, a week or two sometimes to kind of let those emotions settle down so you can kind of more, uh, objectively pick which are actually good pictures, which you want to put out there and not put out, um, you know, the, the, lower quality images that are going to perhaps, uh, you know, not, not um, best reflect what you accomplished during the shoot. Well, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but since you brought it up, what is it that you think makes your images distinctive? <laughs> I think that they're distinctive in their, in the way that I compose the subject relative to the background. So a lot in, in my photographs, every single, you know, square inch of the image is deliberately composed. So even though I have the subject in focus and the background out of focus, I'm extremely attentive to the patterns um, in the background, be those the lines of buildings, the lines of streets, the, you know, the, the angles of hillsides or patterns of color or patterns of light and shade. And I compose very precisely using those background elements. So even though they're, they're in soft focus, they're they they're all intended to contribute to the overall look of the image, and they're organized in a way that 
complements and enhances the uh, the in focus uh, face area of the subject. So I think I do that perhaps a little more than than others. There are certainly there are people that also do that and who do it much better than I do. But though, though that's I think a little bit what makes my my work stand out. I think that the the way that I use light again, it's not unique, but I you know I, I'm very very focused on on light. So if if I was to say what makes it distinctive, it's the combination of that composition and uh, and the way that I use light to uh, to accomplish the images. And maybe one other thing as well is the is the kinds of expressions that I like to capture in the in the photograph. So um, you'll notice if you look at my the portraits on my Instagram feed, for instance, that there is a particular kind of gaze that the models have looking, and it, in it, I want their gaze to connect with the viewer in a very uh, distinctive way. Um, that's something that I, when I've looked at, at paintings, for instance, when I've been trying to find inspiration. I've I've always been struck more by paintings where the subject in the painting feels like they're looking out of the painting at you as the viewer. And I try and uh, accomplish that in my photography as well. So you'll see that there's a there should be, hopefully, a feeling of eye contact with the subject when you look at one of my photographs. With you know, with with rare exceptions. I I sometimes take pictures where the model's not looking right in the camera, but but that that's another at least a consistent feature of the way that I uh, I photograph. Now I've done, this is number 102 of the uh, podcast and I've asked this question of many portrait photographers and no one's ever given me a particularly straight answer. I think it's a, a question that scares a lot of portrait photographers for a reason that's a little bit beyond me. But you're, you're in sort of the, the, the absolute dead center of American um, celebrity culture where, you know, you've got actors, you've got singers, you've got all sorts right, right on your doorstep where you are right now. If anybody in the world was to sort of, uh, to quote the children here, slide into your DMs and ask for a portrait shoot, who, who would be your absolute dream subject? <laughs> you know, that's, it's, I, I, I actually thought about you asking me that question because uh, I had listened to some of your prior podcasts and I had heard you ask other people that. And I was like, oh my goodness, who, who would it be? And I, and I mean, and, and you're right, it's a difficult question. I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm a bit of a letdown in, in terms of my response. I, I don't know who it would be. Um, I mean, on the one hand, it would be nice to have someone who's got millions of Instagram followers to give my, you know, my puny little account a boost. But um, in terms of, you know, photographing a particular person, I don't know. I, I get I get so much enjoyment out of the photography that I already do. And that occurs irrespective of who the model is. Although obviously some, you know, there's some that I particularly like working with just because they're nice people. But um, I, I, I just don't know the answer to that question, Chris. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you know, it's so funny, but I think I'm going to get to like number 250 before someone's um, going to come in with a, with a direct answer. It's, it's a very strange thing. I'll make it easier on you then. You talked about your love mm -hmm. of different cameras. What's your dream camera that you don't currently own? Oh, that I don't currently own? Gosh. Yeah. Um, the problem is I actually do own the cameras that I want to own. Um, my, my dream camera is a Pentax 6.7. That's, that is, to me, that is the pinnacle of, of, you know, of, of all cameras for portrait photography. And I've already got two of them. <laughs> so, you know, I, 
I already I already have the best camera out there in my view. Um, you know, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I maybe if I if I could choose another camera that I don't own, I would get I would maybe get a Hasselblad or something. You know, Hasselblad film camera. Um, but I don't have a particularly burning desire to do that. The the camera that I have I have three medium format cameras, all of which I absolutely love. I have Pentax six seven. Mamiya C33 and a Pentax 645, and they're all just absolutely outstanding cameras. And for that, for those particular formats, you know, they do everything that I need. I mean, I know you could get like a Contax 645, which would be a great camera to have, and they're just insanely expensive. And, and I don't intend to own one because I don't feel that I need one. Um, but I think that with those three cameras to shoot those three formats, 6x7, 6x6, and 6x45, I, those those cameras are as, as good as it gets, and um, I don't I don't particularly lust after any other any other cameras um, uh, because I think I've you know I've got it covered with the with the ones that I already own. All right, you you did, you did well to deflect that one as well. I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan of your style; it's great. Let's 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 sort of finish up here with a bit of self analysis. What do you think your worst habit is as a photographer? My worst habit is taking the same picture over and over again. Um, you know, I've got, I've got certain locations that I use and one in particular that's near my house, um, where the, the hillsides, uh, kind of converge in such a beautiful way that it like perfectly frames a, a subject at, at sunset and the light's perfect and everything. And I take too many pictures there. I got to I've got to I've got to kind of mix it up a little bit and get out to more locations. And it's too easy sometimes for me to to fall back on settings that I'm very, very familiar with. And I, and I don't know why I do it. I do it because I know how well it works and that we'll get nice, we'll get nice images if we shoot there. But I, you know, I, if I'm honest with myself, I need to, I need to get out there more and, you know, mix it up a little bit. As I was saying earlier, LA is, you know, it's a huge and varied city and I'm, and I still don't feel like I'm taking full advantage of it in my photography because there are lots of places where I could be shooting, where I know I'd get, you know, great images that are different from the the images that I've, I've made uh, thus far. And I'm not, I'm not taking full advantage of that. So that's, you know, that's one thing I would like to do. And also just maybe just kind of break out of the constraints of my current style a little bit and just, you know, just be a bit more experimental and um, a little bit more, you know, just, just, just try some different stuff. And I think that, Perhaps, you know, one of the downsides of shooting with film a lot is because it's expensive and because it's, you know, you only get a certain number of shots and so on, it can actually limit your, um, you know, limit your uh, desire to try new stuff because you kind of want, you know, you want to get tried and true images and I need to be a little bit more experimental to, you know, just broaden my horizons a little bit, I think. It's been absolutely incredible to talk to you. I, I want to make sure, obviously, with the the whole purpose of the podcast being for people to be able to find your work, where's the best place for them to go to see what you do? Well, I have. Um, it's really just on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram account is uh, Hull is Beautiful, as in the city of Hull. And uh, that's for my uh, portrait work. And then for um, street photography, uh, I have a uh, an account called Los Angeles is beautiful. Uh, and so those, those are the only places where, where people can currently see my work. I don't have a website, but um, I, I do post work on those accounts fairly regularly. And that's a good place to find me. 
So it's quite funny. Um, episode 32 was my first time speaking to an international guest. It came about as a result of um, the podcast. Obviously, you've got the, the limitations with lockdown. I couldn't have people come to the studio. So I started calling out and then I decided to start calling beyond England, essentially. And I was so excited to have my first international podcast. And it was uh, someone from Toronto who I didn't know until the call started that they are actually now based in Reading, which is about 20 minutes down the road from where I currently live. So I was bitterly disappointed to have my first international call be somewhere that I could have walked to, essentially. Um, and on this occasion, I'm phoning, I'm phoning out all the way to LA and I've got this wonderful Northern accent to speak to. So it's the great irony of life. You've been an absolute gentleman and your work is incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Well, it, you know, it's really been a it's really been a pleasure, Chris, and uh, and thank you ever so much for, for having me on your podcast. I enjoyed it. So hard to see.